take your Bibles with me to James chapter 5. James 5. We'll be in verses 16 through 18 tonight. And along the topic that we feel like God led us to to stick on this week, we're going to stay in the topic of prayer tonight. Last time, we preached on prayer and fasting. Tonight, we're going to preach on prayer with fervency. And um, the text that really stuck out in my, my heart that, that deals with this is James 5, very familiar text, verses 16 through 18 I will read. But the title of tonight's message is World Changing Prayer. World Changing Prayer. There's nothing more powerful than prayer. And we're going to look through a very relevant example Tonight, we're going to look at um, Pastor James giving us insight into this matter of, of prayer. So if you're there in your Bibles tonight, say amen. The Bible says, verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. I heard it said that God doesn't hear prayers until there's desperation added to them. I'm convinced that most Christians have yet to tap into the power found in prayer because there is no earnestness there. There is little by the way of fervency. There isn't that desperation to get a hold of God. You see, the old saints, they knew how to press into God until they knew they had an answer, until God would move. But Today, in our mobile civilization and with the inventions of our day of technology and other distractions, we very seldom take the time to be still and wait on God, to pray through a night, to wake up when the morning dew is still on the roses and, and to seek his face or, or maybe uh, not go to sleep at night to press in in fervent prayer. And it's been to the detriment of the church. You see, that phrase in verse 16 that we're focusing on tonight, the effective, fervent prayer. Prayers that do things, that God answers. Uh, I looked it up in the Greek, and the, the Greek word there for the effective, fervent prayer is actually one word, and it's the word energio. Prayers that have energy behind it, prayers that function, prayer that works, prayers that bring and produce things to happen. I'm telling you, we don't really know what that is like. Have you ever been around someone who you know that they have that prayer life? It was said of Charles Finney that the anointing was so strong on him. He was used in the evangelistic movements here uh, in, in, in early America and um, 
He was so f- a man of prayer. He was a man who spent uh, his time seeking the face of God. The anointing was so strong on him. He was preaching one time in upstate New York, and he had family in the, in the area. His, his uh, brother-in-law was the uh, superintendent of a factory there. And he was preaching in town, and many in the factory had come the night before to hear Charles Finney preach. And God moved in a mighty way in that meeting. And so the next day, his brother-in-law invited him to go and tour this textile factory. And as they got into the factory, uh, as Charles stepped into the factory, people's eyes were just glued on him. They were just, they were just enamored with the man of God. And he saw two women in particular that when they saw him walk near their station, that they stopped what they were doing and their hands began to tremble. And as he got closer to them, he, he, he described the, the situation in his book. He said uh, they had to stop their work and just, and one of them just burst into tears. And before you know it, everyone in that area of the factory were, was weeping. A man who was so filled with the Spirit that people would get around, them, around him and they would be impacted by God's presence in his life. The owner of the factory was not a Christian, was not a believer, but he saw what was going on and he decided that he would close production for that day. And he said this, this was his words, it is more important that we press into these matters. It seems to be more of an, of an importance to God that people be saved. And they stopped that day's work. They found a room big enough to meet in and Charles Finney preached there. And no one who, to their knowledge, that came to work that day, left lost. Would be to God that we would have that type of prayer life. Where the presence of God could rest upon us. We're here in in James, Pastor James gives an example of someone who would have had a similar level of anointing. The prophet Elijah. You see, the prophet Elijah, of course, from the Old Testament, was a man who was set apart for God's work. And uh, Pastor James explains how, uh, how that was found, where the, where the anointing came from. It was from uh, Elijah's time spent in the presence of God. It was from Elijah's prayer life. And Pastor James, of course, is no uh, slouch when it comes to prayer. If you read about church history, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he, of course, was saved after the resurrection, but he became the pastor there at Jerusalem, and it was said that he was known as James the Just. He was a holy man of God, and the Bible, uh, uh, and we hear about him, of course, throughout the Scripture, but uh, history tells that he had knees like camels because he spent countless hours in prayer. He, He spent time in the presence of God and of course he was the one who God chose to take over the flagship church of Jerusalem and he uses the example of Elijah and I want us to look at a few uh, just truths when it comes to fervent prayer Uh, where does this type of prayer come what type of life does this type of prayer flow through I want you to notice first of all tonight that this type of prayer world-changing prayer it flows through a a holy man of God a holy woman of God a righteous man or woman of God now I want you to understand this tonight when you received Christ as your Lord and Savior you were declared righteous by God 
You were, you took on, he took on our sin on the cross and he gave to us his righteousness. We are positionally righteous tonight if you're in Christ tonight. Aren't you thankful that you won't have to pay and give an account for your sin tonight? But I want you to know that's not what the Bible is speaking about here. It's speaking about personal holiness, righteousness, a life that is set apart for God's use. Uh, Ian Bounds said this, says what the church needs today is not more machinery or better or new organizations or new novel methods, but men of whom the Holy Spirit of God can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not work through machineries, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, rather men of prayer. We live in an era where we think of the worship is just right, or, or if we have the right uh, lights in the back, the LEDs and the smoke, and, the, and we have the coffee in the lobby, and, you know, we think that we're going to change the world through those methods. But we see how that's working. We aren't impacting the world like these people who had none of these things that I speak of tonight. What God is looking for tonight is holy Men and women of God. Men and women who have surrendered completely to God. You see, we are responsible for surrender, and then God will take care of the supernatural. You see, there's something to this deeper life that we have yet to tap into this generation. And I'm telling you, we, we have uh, not seen a move of God, and it's not because God is any less powerful. It's not because God does not want to move in this generation. It's because we aren't willing to pay the price. Fervent prayer, supernatural prayer. It could do things that we could never accomplish in our whole lifetime. If you're reading contexts here, uh, James is calling the people to pray when there are those around them who are suffering. Verse 13, he says, is there anyone among you who is suffering? And what that is speaking about is people who are going through hardship, people who are having a a difficult go in life, and it causes suffering. And he said uh, the answer to that, of course, is prayer. And I've learned this, that in suffering, sometimes prayer allows God to remove us from the situation. But oftentimes in suffering, we we are refined, and God will change our heart while we pray and seek him for that. Oh, you remember the apostle Paul when he had that thorn in the flesh? And he sought God to, to get him uh, to take it away. But God, he asked him three times. He, he continued to ask. But God said, no, I'm going to allow this to stay with you so that in your weakness, my power can be made manifest in you. Sometimes God isn't going to change our situation, but he's going to change us through suffering. And he's sovereign in that. He says, is there anyone who's sick among you? Verse 14, there were those in the church there who were sick, dealing with illness. And he addresses that, the need to, to pray with faith, to, to lay hands, anoint these people. The elders were to come together, these righteous men in the church, the leaders, the, the, the men who were set apart, were to go to this person and to lay hands on them and anoint them with oil and to pray uh, a prayer of faith, believing that God can heal and God would do it. 
Now, we know sometimes God chooses to heal and sometimes he chooses to to allow sickness to remain or, or to call saints home. We understand that we don't want our will to be done but God's. But I'm telling you, there might be a lot more of this taking place in the church today. If we were serious about holiness and prayer and laying hands on people, there might be more instances of seeing people supernaturally healed if we would press into this, these promises. And I'm telling you tonight, uh, we haven't seen that, uh, just a, a small fraction of what God wants to do in his people. Fervent prayer was the answer for suffering, for sickness, but I want you to see it also is the answer for the nation. Now, of course, the example is Elijah, and Elijah is the one who's emphasized as a man of prayer, a man who was a righteous man who sought after God. His life was set apart for God's use, and Elijah, uh, of course, was, was grieved by what was going on in his nation in his day. He saw the direction that Ahab and Jezebel was leading the nation down. They were leading them into Baal worship. Now, a quick study of Baal would show that there's a lot of parallels with what's going on in America today. I've learned this today that the, uh, the enemy, <laughs> he, he doesn't change his tactics or his, his MO. He just, it's just interchangeable, the names, you know. And so Baal worship entailed this. See, Baal was the chief god of the Canaanites. And he was to, thought to have brought a son, or he was a sun god, and he was one who they looked to to bring rain for the crops, for bountiful harvests. Uh, uh, he was the god they thought of fertility. One of the symbols of, uh, of Baal was, 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 uh, was really grotesque and, and really perverted, and I won't even speak of it tonight, but he, he, it, was, it was around sexual immorality. Most of those who would have followed Baal would have been involved in perversion, sex acts, depraved things that the mind could conceive. And, and not only did Baal uh, cause these things to take place, but Baal also uh, went after the children. Not only would they do the other stuff, but they would sacrifice children to Baal too. Sound familiar? We live in a day where child sacrifice is on every corner. I stood out a few months ago at Planned Parenthood, and, oh, they're very careful to make sure you stay on the, on the sidewalk. You can't get too close. They don't want you talking to someone. And I, I couldn't help but feel the weight of what was taking place inside of that walls. And just, just right across the way was a church uh, standing right, uh, literally 100 yards away from where this was taking place. And, and in my mind, I just I couldn't get that image out of my mind how uh, the, the church of the living God is, is within a stone's throw of a place where babies, babies are being murdered on a daily basis just here in the Antelope Valley. Oh, we see perversion everywhere, and they, they're coming for the kids. We see, uh, you see, you see it. I don't have to take the time to name it all tonight, but what we are seeing play out in our nation is, is similar to what Elijah saw. But the difference between us and Elijah is Elijah was bothered by it. Elijah was burdened by it. Elijah went to God on behalf of it. He didn't just go through another Starbucks drive-through and, and just 
put it aside and put it out of his mind, it affected him to do something. And so when God called him, he was ready. And when he came out of obscurity, he went into Ahab and he declared that there would be no rain on the earth uh, for three and a half years. He said, uh, because you have led Israel away from their God. Where are the holy men and women of God with righteous indignation about sin? I don't know about you, but I'm sad that, that I can't let my kids play out freely like I did as a child because here in the Antelope Valley is one of the highest places where human trafficking is taking place, where they're, they're kidnapping children. Look it up. We aren't burdened about these things. When Elijah saw what was going on, he had to do something. See, fervent prayer flows through a holy life. You can't be close to God and not be burdened about the things that burden him. I've learned this. You can't say you love God and you don't love people and turn a, a blind eye to the atrocities that are taken just, just within our even own neighborhoods. Prayer that changes the world comes from holy men and women of God. But I'm afraid that most, much of our prayer lives have been relegated to a wish list for God. And James hit on this in the chapter pre- previous. He said in chapter 4 and verse 3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. What does our prayer list consist of? What, do we, what, do, what is burdening us? What, what do we seek the face of God over? Is it a new car? Is it a, a, the raise at work? Is it uh, something that we just want to consume? Is it for things that won't matter in 50 years from now? Is that what's dominating our prayer lists? Not to say God doesn't want to hear our requests. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying holy men of God and women of God of yesteryear, they, were, they, they cared about the things that God cared about. They weren't involved. They, they weren't living sinful lifestyles. You know, I find it hard. I know this isn't popular today, this, this matter of holiness being taught, being preached, but I, I dare say very few people who spend the night binging on Netflix have this type of prayer life. I can't even really go on the feed anymore on Netflix. So wicked. Oh, I, I dare say that uh, a person who's uh, popping, uh, you know, beers with the buddies the night before at the bar, I dare say that they aren't praying and asking for God to, to revive this nation that's heading towards destruction. You see, Elijah understood the direction that the nation was coming. They were p- placing themselves in, uh, in the way where God would have to judge that nation. And I want you to understand something, church. We are the last hope for this nation. We are the last hope for this nation. If we don't wake up, if we don't see a mighty move of God, there won't be a nation. And I think today we just want to gloss over, put our heads in the sand and pretend like everything is just going to work itself out. But let me tell you tonight, God is is making it very clear. I believe that it is not going to be all right. We've got to get to this altar. We've got to get right with God. Some of us need to go home tonight 
and you need to throw some things out the house. You need to uh, break up with somebody you're with. You need to do certain things that you know God is convicting you about, and, and you have no answers in your prayer life because you are coddling sin in your life. The Bible says in Proverbs 28 and verse 13, he who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes, forsakes them will have mercy. Oh, Isaiah talked about it. He said in verse uh, 1 of chapter 59, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save or his ear dull that he cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Elijah was set apart. He was holy. And so when he prayed, God's ear was open to him. I've learned this. The quality of my prayers are clearly impacted by the way that I live. The quality of my prayers. And I, I believe I would say this too. God is more concerned with quality with our prayers than quantity. Some of the most sincere prayers that I've ever prayed, very short. <laughs> I remember I've shared this story, you know, when Elijah, our Elijah was, we we're going to deliver him, right? And I remember, you know, we were, you know, we've been down this road a few times, you know, he was the, the fourth child, so we, we were taking our time casually. My wife said, hey, Let's go through, uh, let me get some food before I go in, you know, like, and, and then we went to this burger spot down in Inglewood, and, and um, but we were in the drive-thru waiting for her food, and all of a sudden, a real contraction hit, and she said, we got to go. So I got out that line, and I got on the freeway as soon as I can. It was 5 o'clock. Y'all know what that meant. Traffic. So I did something. I got over to the carpool lane, and I got over into that, that auxiliary, whatever, the emergency thing, and I'm just going because she's, she's going through the contractions, and we have a 30-minute drive to the hospital. So we get there. Praise God. She didn't have the baby. I didn't have to deliver it in the car. <laughs> and we get into the hospital, and they hurry her in. They, get, you know, they bring out the, the, the wheelchair. We get in, and they get us situated. We get into the room, and, you know, we're sitting there, and we're waiting, and contractors are coming closer, but it's now time for the epidural to, to take place, and so they come in, and, and that epidural is done. He does it very quickly, and then they leave the room, of course, and I'm sitting there, and I'm over. You know, they give the dad this little little sliver of a, you know, thing to, to sit in the room, and so I'm over sitting on that, just waiting, you know, just taking my time, you know. <laughs> Because it could be a while or it could be quick, but we didn't know. But all of a sudden, there burst into the room all the doctors and nurses because the baby's heart rate dropped, Elijah's heart rate. I think they said it was like 25 beats per minute or something, really low. And it was like a movie. It happened so fast. They said, Dad, grab all your stuff. Follow us. We're taking her to the OR. We're going to have to get this baby out right now. He's in distress. Let me tell you, not, I've never confessed everything I can think about so quickly. <laughs> Anybody been there? 
they sit me on this little red bench, right? <clears throat> and she's in there, and I, I can't go in. And, and I'm texting people that, that, who could pray, who could get a hold of God, like who I can think about. And I'm confessing, and I'm crying, and I'm crying out to God. I can, I can only muster a few words, God, help us. And uh, those few minutes of waiting on that, that bench was the longest of my life until I heard the cry of, of Elijah. <clears throat> and then I rejoiced. I, I, I did a praise dance outside there. I don't care who saw me. But I'm telling you guys, I'll share that with you. Because what if we lived in such communion with God where we were, we were walking with him where it's, it's, we're slipping in and out of prayer all the time. So you don't have to work, get, find out what's wrong in your life. Think about all the sin you have not confessed. What if you're living holy? So you know you can get a hold of God and you know nothing's hindering your prayers and you know that uh, you have uh, you have entrance with God. But oftentimes we don't live there. We live uh, just a, a little bit close uh, as we can to our sin and, and we keep God at arm's length. So when we need him, we can run back. But what if it were that we as God's people were holy and we live close to him? So when the time came, when the crisis come, when the time when we need to get a hold of God, we don't have to. To be dialing someone else you think who can get a hold of God, you can go straight to him and know that your prayers are being answered. I'm telling you, this thing of holiness is no, it's not optional for us. We think God is playing around when he says, be ye holy for I am holy. But it's, it's what he's called us to, to, to be. See, Elijah was a holy man of God, and he prayed that way. You see, what happens when you walk with God is you start to be conformed to the image of him more. And you pray uh, in his will. And you, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, uh, Jesus, of course, in that prayer, he told them to pray, let your will be done. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm telling you, your prayer life changes when you're walking in holiness with God, when you're seeking God's face, when your life is set apart. You don't pray the same way. You don't trivial with the things that you know won't really matter. You, you pray the, the big prayers. You pray like you know eternity is dependent upon it. One of my favorite preachers of yesteryear is Leonard Ravenhill. And over in his office, he, would, he had a sign. He said that he looked at many times per day and said one word, eternity. Eternity. And everything he did, he did with a focus on eternity. And I've learned, and he said this too, he said, there's no man greater than his prayer life. I wonder if we had icons hanging above us that showed <laughs> how much where our prayer life was, what, what would we see? Would, would, it, would we be blinking, flashing on empty tonight? Elijah was the example. 
He was a holy man. The Bible says that the fervent uh, prayers, the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man, they have energy. They get things done. They move mountains. I'm telling you, this is what we got to seek God for. But I want you to encourage someone in here tonight with this next point. I want you to understand world-changing prayers, they come from regular people. Look at what the Bible says about Elijah, verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He put his pants on one leg at a time like we did, or his tunic, whatever he put on. I'm telling you, he was just like you and I. He had good days and bad days. Oh, you remember when he won the great victory. Uh, of course, God won the victory on Mount Carmel. And he, he uh, of course, fire was called down from heaven. And it was a showdown uh, there between Baal, the false fake God, and the real true living God. And it was a, a, a mountaintop experience for Elijah. But soon after... <laughs> he's hiding from Jezebel, depressed. He was just like you and I. And this, is, this encourages me. God isn't looking for some big, strong hero. I was reading about Hudson Taylor, and he was used by God in China. Of course, we talk about him often, but I'm saying, uh, I read in his book, he said, uh, the reason why God used me is because I was just small enough for him to use. I just was small enough. And you can't get too small for God to use, but you can't get too big. Regular people change the world. Regular people who God has their, their heart. I'm telling you, those are the people. And Elijah was in that category. Elijah, of course, he, uh, at other times, he, he thought he was the only one left. Uh, he thought he was the only one left in, in, in Israel who did not bow the knee to Baal. And God had to open his eyes and say, hey, no, I have, I have 2,000 uh, who have not bent the knee to Baal. He thought he was all alone. I'm telling you, Elijah went through it. He, he understood a solitude. He understood what it's like to stand by himself and, and, and feel like the whole world was against him. He understood what it was to stand before the king and, and to have a uh, of course, a bounty on his head, but he still uh, was reminded and God visited him right there in, in his sorrow, in his depression at times. And I'm telling you, what we need to get back to is not focusing on us and what we can do, but we need to turn our eyes to God again and say, God, you can change this situation. You can move this mountain. You can do things. And I'm just a regular Joe, but you are the God of all eternity and you can do anything. He was a regular guy. When he prayed earnestly, I want you to see, that's again, that, that energized prayer. He prayed with all of his heart. God caused it not to rain. God shut the heavens for one regular guy's prayer. And I think he did so because his prayer was within the will of God. Elijah knew that if there was not a change in Israel, that there would be judgment. And so 
He went ahead and he, 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 uh, he prayed in that God would take that away for while people suffered. Yeah, there was a, a difficult season he lived through. He had to be sustained by a, a widow. And uh, I'm telling you, it was not easy, the road that Elijah walked. And I'm telling you guys, it's not easy to walk this road as one who will set themselves apart for prayer uh, and set themselves apart to pray these type of prayers. It's going to come at a cost. Your life's going to have to look different. Leonard Ravenhill said he knew of a man who, who split up his life this way. There was eight, 24 hours in a day. Eight hours he worked. Eight hours he slept. The other eight hours he devoted himself to prayer. That was his life. The last 12 years of his life, he never left his home. But to seek God in prayer. And there's more power in that little cottage than <laughs> was in the nuclear repertoire of every major country <laughs> in the world. I'm telling you. Charles Finney said he had a man who given himself to prayer likewise and that he would intercede and God would move the mountains for this man. And, and no one, I, I forgot his name, but I'm telling you, in, in the history books, you won't see this man's name, but when you get to heaven, oh, he's going to be up front and, and on display. Of course, I'm telling you, God is looking for regular people. Oh, mom, you may think that you're not making a difference, but if you pray for those children, you pray for your husband, oh, you get before God, you pull down heaven and you, you let God say, Set your life apart for his shoes. Oh, when you get to heaven, oh, the, the ladder will be turned. Those at the bottom will be at the top. And those at the top, you know, some of us who stand up front and do all this, oh, I could care less about preaching a sermon. Oh, I much want to be more powerful in prayer. God put that on my heart this week. <laughs> I read this quote today. It said, Great preaching will get you to compliment, compliment the preacher, but good preaching will leave you more in love with Jesus. I want to point people to Jesus, and I want his power behind everything that I do. And that's not going to happen apart from a prayer life. But I was encouraged as I was reminded that Elijah was just like me. And, I, and if we're all honest, we all go through ups and downs. I go through discouragement. I go through seasons of difficulty. We all do. We all experience these things. But something that we can make consistent in our lives is to seek God. And he can do what no one else can do. So prayer that changes the world comes through righteous vessels comes through regular people but I want you to see lastly tonight it's a rigorous activity it's not for the faint as I've mentioned already Elijah prayed earnestly Charles Finney said this prevailing prayer that secures an answer it's it, it is it is like travail saying prayers it's not prevailing prayer. The prevalence of prayer does not depend on its quantity, as we heard before, but its quality. It's rigorous work, guys. I tried it this morning when Pastor preached last night, and, 
it just really convicted me, just really convicted me. Because I'm like you, that alarm goes off, I want to hit that snooze. The flesh wants to, wants to rule the day. As, as we learned last night, the flesh wants to not allow us to be watching and praying. But this morning I did my very best and I got up and I got on my face and of course everything wants to run into your mind at that time, right? And it's travail. It's, I, I had to tell the flesh, no, we're not getting up here until we, until we hear from God. Until there's that release. I'm telling you, there's something to that. It's, it's a, it's a, there needs to be a tenacity when it comes to our prayer lives. The problem is we don't wrestle with God. I was thinking about Jacob. <laughs> he thought he for sure was going to die when he saw God up to him, right? And that night he wrestled with God. And he realized, I don't know at what point during that encounter that he realized it was God, but he, he wouldn't let go of him. <laughs> he would not let go of him until he blessed him, until he got uh, the answer, until he had confirmation and he wrestled with him the whole night, the Bible says, till finally God said, okay, okay, okay. He touched his hip. Knocked it out socket. That was painful. See, that type of prayer is painful. He walked with a limp and a cane the rest of his life, but he knew he had the blessing of God. He knew he had gotten a hold of God. I'm telling you, we don't do that anymore. We, we don't have a tenacity when it comes to our prayer lives. We aren't desperate yet. The things have to get worse, y'all. Do we have to see more depravity, more destruction? Do we have to, is it going to have to take a war? Is it going to have to take, I don't know, you name it. What's it going to take for us as God's people to grab hold of these, these promises and to, to grab hold of God? You know, it's possible to do so even when you aren't facing a crisis. Matter of fact, it's, it's better to do so when you're not facing a crisis. So you're ready when the crisis comes. But it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you some sleep, I'm going to tell you that. It's going to cost you some comfort. It's going to cost you... Uh, missing some events, it's going to cost you uh, just uh, some effort. People are going to call you radical. People are going to look at you weird when you, when you uh, set your time apart to pray, to fast, to seek God, to press in. I'm telling you, but I'm telling you it's worth it. I was studying today about importunity that Jesus talked about. How by importunity, that means you just keep coming. You come at all hours. <laughs> you, you, you keep pressing in. I was reading also when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, uh, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock and it will be opened unto you. And I looked up what those words meant. Ask, seek, and knock. And 
Of course, ask means to, de- to ask for, to demand, to plead for, <laughs> to, to demand, to plead for. Uh, we, our Elijah, he wakes up. He's usually first up in the morning. And uh, he comes to our door and he knocks. And we don't even have to ask who it is. And, he's, and the first thing he says is, I'm hungry. <laughs> Dad, Mom, I'm hungry. And you have to get up because he'll keep knocking. <laughs> and we have to keep like dozens of <laughs> bananas on. He loves bananas. And uh, you have to have one ready for him to just put in his hand real quick, or he'll be hangry for the whole morning. <laughs> he'll be mad. He'll have it. His whole, dem- but he gets, that, he gets that banana in him, and he's just as sweet as can. He's just happy. And I'm telling you guys, we have the same access to our Father. But many times we, we, we fall short when it comes to knocking, when it comes to asking when it comes to seeking, <laughs> we, we fall short of that. And, and Jesus uses the example. He says, or what man is there among you if his son asks for bread? Will he give him a stone or he asks for fish? Will he give him a serpent? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? But it's going to cost us something. Elijah was willing to pay the price, and so God, we're still talking about him today. God used him. So we know it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then after the showdown on Mount Carmel, after he took care of those 800 or so false prophets, could you imagine the scene? I mean, the Bible says that he took his sword and he cut them all in half. 800 of them. And they were so afraid of God and his power that they didn't move out of the line. They had just saw God bring fire down from heaven. Today, the people mock our God because they've never seen a move of God in us. They mock God. They make TV shows that mock Jesus. They wouldn't dare do that to Muhammad but they do it to Jesus because they, they've never really seen a church empowered. And Elijah, as he, after, as he finishes uh, <laughs> that, that day um, with those prophets, now it was time to seek God for rain because the people had saw God move and they realized that he is the one true God. And so Elijah... He fell on his face and he began to pray. And he prayed and he went to his servant and said, can you see any sign of rain? And he said, there's no evidence yet. And he did so again and again and again. He continued to press in to God, to pray earnestly. It took seven times. 
Some of you, you're on the third or fourth time and you're, you're thinking about giving up on God, bringing the rain, opening the heavens on your situation. But I want to encourage someone tonight, just keep pressing in because it could be this next time that you get through and God says, hey, I'm going to bring the rain. I'm going to show my glory. I'm going to show you my power. And, and on the seventh time, when the servant went and saw, uh, there, there was just a little cloud in the distance. But before you knew it, uh, it, was, it was raining almost to a flood in Israel. And I'm telling you guys, we've got to keep pressing in. What do you think this in the heavens is about? It's about us pressing in to God, seeking his face. Because if there's not the rain of revival, there's no hope for us. Everything was depending on rain. They, they were, of course, an agricultural society. And so it was that Elijah pressed in on behalf of the people. We need revival, church. There must, Charles Finney said this, there must be a waking up of energy on the part of Christians and an outpouring of God's spirit or the world will continue to laugh at the church. We've said this before, we don't want the history to go by and and our generation to come and go and there not be a move of God because it will not be because God wasn't willing It'll be because we weren't ready. We weren't seeking him. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Tonight, I just want to encourage some of us to press in. If you haven't been seeking God with all your heart, praying for the things that matter to him, if you're not living holy, you're not setting your life apart for his use, Whatever the Lord speaks to you tonight, I encourage you to make things right with him. I encourage you to determine, to develop a prayer life. And I want you to understand it's, gonna, it's not going to happen overnight. <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen. I've been reading. Uh, my sister last year gave me, uh, for, for my birthday, uh, Kobe's book, um, or it was year before 2020, she gave it to me. I really couldn't open it up before then. I'm st- I was st- still grieving Kobe. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Like, I really couldn't read it. But I started reading it, and his life was set apart to excel at the game of basketball. He, it was said that he would work out in the offseason three times a day. His first workout sometimes would start at 12 midnight. And he'd work out from 12 to 2 in the morning, get some rest. Then he'd wake up again from 3 to about 5 or 6 in the morning because he wanted to take his girls to school. So he, he sacrificed sleep. He said, if I'm going to train and be you know, more elite than those who I face, it's going to cost me something. And the only time I see I can do so to get the extra workout in is during the normal sleep hours. And so he did this pretty much his whole career. And there were people in the NBA who had more athleticism 
There are people in the NBA who have more raw talent than Kobe, but there's no one who could say that they outworked him. And he said he was able to retire without regrets because he, he laid it, he, he got every ounce out of his body that he could get. You know what, when I die, I don't want there to be any juice left in the tank. I don't want to be, there to be any unoffered prayers. I want to get the most out of my spiritual life. And I want that to be the, what's said of our church. You guys see, when we start to, to grasp this, this matter of prayer, it's going to change things. And if we were to call, I, I, I'm still afraid that if we were to call a prayer meeting, that it would be far less than, you know, if we were to call a potluck. <laughs> but we've got to grasp this promise that the fervent, effectual prayer of, the, uh, of, of a righteous man avails much. And we want to say, if you're here tonight and you maybe came in here without Christ, you, you maybe came in here tonight with questions about Christianity and what is this all about and well, I want to share with you some good news. Jesus loves you. Jesus proved that he loved you when he went to the cross. He went for, for your sin and for my sin, and he shed his blood on the cross 